Welcome to Molding Masculinity. I'm Tom McFarlane this week here with Philip Seip. Uh, we're going to talk this week about a topic. Philip, do you want to go ahead and introduce that topic? Yeah, we are going to be talking about um, the male stereotype of the horn dog, or uh, sometimes called uh, you know men being hypersexual, or um, you know just just that stereotype of like uh, men don't think of always think about sex and always want to have sex and are just you know borderline obsessive compulsive about it. So that's yep. what we're talking about. Yeah, and I mean, and I think this in this is one of those things that I think is a beginning of the dominoes for a lot of issues in masculinity and in men's issues and like a lot of other problems down the road kind of begin with this and begin with several encompassing issues of this because like while it's while we have this social stigma of, or like not stigma that's not the right word but like the social idea that men are hypersexual we also have this um element of our culture where we never talk about sex so um you know it's it's like as a developing uh masculine presenting person you are told that masculine presenting people are obsessed with sex but you're also given no examples of how to be a masculine presenting person who is sexually healthy and active if that makes any sense like this was something really processing to me recently while i was uh, listening to a book by andy weir he's the author of the martian and he is like me an only child and he is absolutely horrible at writing uh dialogue between multiple people like me because we're only children but he's really fantastic at writing internal dialogue however he also is a middle-aged white guy and he has a lot of like little kind of i don't know hang-ups and one of his hang-ups is that he never talks about anything related to sexuality whatsoever. If sex ever comes up, it is a joke or it is some, it's just generally not taken serious in his books and he never gets serious about sexuality. And he always has these like male characters who are like lost in space for months, yet sex or lack of sex or masturbation or anything like that never comes up in a glaringly obvious way. Right. And I, I, I can't help but think about how off, how common that is with men, male characters in media, especially media that I paid a lot of attention to when I was developing as a young masculine presenting person. And it never gave me like a way of how to be a healthy sexual person. Yeah. And you could see some of that in, uh, in, you know, meme internet culture as well in that like there's this this constant duality push between like men which are stereotyped as like you know hyper obsessed with sex and obsessed with women and and like then the sort of reactionary like push back against that in the like uh you know for lack of a, a better term like that whole like be gone thought thing that was popular forever ago you know, so you see this like um, reactionary thing of um, uh, abandoning all sexuality at all uh, in response to the to this, uh, you know, under this like really, uh, you know, not great narrative of, um, you know, overcoming your mere biological 
uh, you know, base traits as if like um, sex is somehow not part of being a, you know, robust adult man. It's it's interesting to 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 see, um, you know, this the pressure that such an extreme stereotype has that you end up getting these people who like grossly overcorrect in the other direction and just try to try to reject it wholesale. Yeah, you you really do. And I mean, it, it, it creates this, I think, a frustrating dialogue and dichotomy of, you know, as you as a masculine presenting person of like, you, you're either, you know, you're always caught between the two, either if you with talk about it you're like you're thinking too much about it and people will like come at you about that or i guess not come at you but i mean it's yeah you're always caught between those two wide widely different uh disparities of things and uh like i always have i think this is pretty instrumental in why i have often both as a younger person and as an adult uh generally gravitated towards female friendships because i almost perpetually always felt uncomfortable around groups of masculine presenting people because the general concept around libido and sexuality was so unhealthy it was like either you either it was like everybody aggressively trying to reinforce that like yeah yeah no i i hyper focus on sexu on sex too you hyper focus on sex too right yeah we all hyper focus on sex or it's the opposite end of that <laughs> yeah so what this actually brings me to one of the articles that i was reading sarah hunter murray uh she's a relationship therapist who um wrote a book, Not Always in the Mood, The New Science of Men, Sex, and Relationships. Um, and one of the things that she talks about is um, she did a bunch of therapy sessions with men uh, related to uh, you know, how they feel about sex and stuff like that. And she noted that during the first therapy session or two, like all the men would talk about like, oh yeah, you know, like I'm just ready to go all the time, blah, blah, blah. Like let's, uh, you know, like I'm a man, you know, type of stuff. And, you know, found that as therapy went on, they dialed that back quite a bit. Um, and some even outright confessed that their, that that desire was like feigned rather than authentic. So like, it's interesting that you bring that up because like I have that discomfort in some male circles too, not the male circles that tend to be in these days, but especially when I was younger with random, you know, groups of men that were thrown together for like a school project who didn't know each other very well. And we're all kind of doing this performative bit, you know, and like it, a lot of that's fake. Like it's, it's sort of posturing of like, yeah, I also am a strong virile man, you know, like, it, it, and the the sad part of it is is like that has consequences it's not like it it's, might seem on the surface very harmless in the sense of like oh who cares okay you brag yeah yeah you know there's a whole like are i have sex subreddit right where people bragging about how like they totally have sex and they're very cool because of it but like uh you know this this perpetu perpetuated stereotype has like real harm on the many, many men who do not fit that incredibly ridiculous, I mean, honestly, ridiculous stereotype. Um, because like um, a lot of the men, for example, that Murray interviewed, 
uh, talked about how a lot of times, you know, like um, they may be stressed out about something or have a big headache or something, and they're not really wanting to do anything, but then like their partner starts to initiate and then they feel like this weird obligation to, and, and I want to be clear, like, you know, that's not necessarily because the partner's like putting pressure on them, you know, like this has happened to me and it's not because my wife like pressed me to have sex or whatever, but there have been times where it's like, you're kind of eh about it or don't really want to, not enthusiastic. And like, there is this feeling of, okay, well, we all know that there's the stereotype of men always want to go. And like, if I'm saying no, that's going to be read as uh, you're so unappealing right now that not even I, a man who always wants to have sex with anything that moves will take you like, and that's terrible. Like, (laughs) you know, it's, it's a, it's a real psychological damaging thing to, to be put in this position where um, you can't say no without delivering a pretty, a pretty severe insult to someone who you love and care for. It really is. And I mean, and this is something that I've heard from other couples therapists when I was in school, because my, uh, my uh, bachelor's degree is in psychology. And this was something that I had, I, I heard multiple times was like one of the, the, of being like one of the most common things to hear in couples counseling was a situation where, um, a, a, you know, a masculine presenting person in the relationship was not feeling that stereo, like not feeling constantly turned on and ready to go. And the other person in the relationship wasn't understanding that of like, but, 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 but you're mas- like, you're masculine. That's, you always want to have sex. That's how men are. That's how masculine people are. And it's not that's not reasonable it's it's something kind of created by our society and by media yeah and there to be to be totally fair i mean there is a biological component to this this you know the libido drive is primarily related to levels of testosterone in both men and women and men uh people assigned male at birth at least that you know go through male puberty um naturally have a higher level of testosterone so it is if you look at you know uh those who go through male puberty um as a population on the whole they are going to be generally higher libido than the rest of the population but higher and constantly 100 percent of the time ready to go at anything that you know vaguely jiggles is a completely different type of thing and the stereotype is so overblown that it like it becomes like a like it's almost laughable that anyone feels like they should have to hold up to it and yet we do like i felt it um plenty of people have felt it and it's just like um and it, it comes with all kinds of like uh baked in assumptions with it too like not just like like the the drive is assumed to be so strong for men that it's assume it's the only thing that they want, you know, like like we don't need romance, we don't need, you know, intimacy or or affection or compliments or any of that romance touchy feely stuff that women like, you know, that's that's not stuff that we need. We don't like that. We just need to to get off and be done with it, you know. And that's that's harmful too, because um, that's absolutely not true. <laughs> 
Yeah, and it, and it also fuels into incorrect uh, assumptions and incorrect understandings of really bad stuff. Like, for instance, the, the, the kind of like social push idea that um, incidents of sexual assault and rape are, quote, just boys being boys is rooted in that concept of well men can't control themselves because they are just ruled by their libido and if they see an attractive woman in a miniskirt they just lose control of themselves and i mean and of course that has a lot of other uh, uh, attachments to it of of uh, dehumanization of women within our society and uh, um, uh, objectification and all these other elements, but also a huge, I mean, like that, that concept fizzles apart the moment you consider the idea that men don't have like that boys just being boys element of being obsessed with sex 24 seven and it runs our entire brains. Yeah. And in fact, like one of the things that Murray found in her research was that, um, you know, the stereotype of this being the only thing that men think about and just wanting to get off or whatever is um, not only not true, but it is not even clearly ahead of the pack uh, in, in male desire um, to, um, to provide a quote. It was, uh, quote, interview after interview, it started to become very clear that the most salient and important experience that increased men's sexual desire was feeling wanted by their female partner. A lot of women don't think to outwardly demonstrate their desire for their male partners. And that's the end of the quote. And what's <clears throat> I, I find interesting about this is like, I've heard this a million times about how like, oh, female sexuality is all about wanting to be desired and and wanted, whereas male sexual desire is all about like seeing things and touching things. And it's like, well, that actually, you know, um, in studies, you know, actually investigating this, they don't, <laughs> um, you know, there certainly some men, you know, are very driven by, you know, a visual appearance or whatever, but oftentimes that's a socialized thing. And especially men with, who are, you know, looking for more, more than just like a one night stand or whatever are often um, really seeking that sort of um, romantic validation that, that, you know, we already just assume that women want. Uh, and the, the expectation that men not only aren't interested in that, but want something very particular um, makes it so that, a, you know, a ton of people who are partners for their, for men uh, end up feeling like, uh, you know, a little bit blindsided, you know, because they, they don't really, they, they, they've absorbed the same sort of passive narrative and don't realize that, you know, men need compliments too and whatnot. Yeah. And I mean, and I think this is an element too, where some of these concepts that we've been talking about start falling together as pieces in a puzzle. And that's my, in order, a lot of men struggle with sexuality and with libido and struggle with understanding what it is that they need in order to be made happy in, in a relationship, I think in large part because of not like 
having gained that necessary level of emotional intelligence, right? Because you're not going to, like, you're just, you know, this is very similar to what we were talking about last week in this idea that you you hit this wall where you just know something is wrong, but you don't know what's wrong. And I see so many men in this situation in their relationships where they are uh, sexually unsatisfied, but they don't know why. I mean, they're doing everything that they've been told that they're supposed to do. They are focusing on sight and touch. They are uh, you know, maybe being, you know, you know, these kind of traditional things that we're taught that we should do and that that isn't working. So I'm broken. Yep. I, I got nothing like something is wrong with me. And that's where you see men who just bounce through relationship to relationship because they think they can't like stay with one woman because I don't know. It's just, you know, all, if you, if you lack that one puzzle piece, you can't quite get a grasp on the other. Yeah, and, and such like th this is a pattern that I see with not just male sexuality, but with any stereotype or pressure in a system that is so extreme. Um, you know, anytime whether it's a software system or a person or whatever, or you know, society or whatever, whenever an extreme amount of pressure is coming from a particular singular source, you see some pretty, you generally see, uh, you know, some pretty strong outpourings from that so for example it, it to to put such an extreme expectation on men about how horny they should be right they you you end up getting uh you know inevitably because there's millions and millions and millions of us like uh you see everything under the sun from the men who completely fit that stereotype and you know sleep with a different woman every night for like a year or whatever like there, there are people that are like that um just by population mechanics alone <laughs> um but uh, on the flip side of that coin by population mechanics alone there's going to be some number of men who don't uh have any partners or don't have access to you know that sort of um physical kind of relationship and so, but, but when you have people on that side of the coin, just via population mechanics, um, you, you end up with the, with a whole group of people who are presented with this completely extreme stereotype that is the total opposite of their experience and with tons of pressure on them to try to live up to the stereotype that almost no man lives up to. And then you get stuff like the incel community who are just like completely tortured by this ridiculous like honestly as an adult man who has a family and stuff like it's a ridiculous stereotype no one fits this like very basically no one the people that do are because they're a weird statistical anomaly and, but you get all these people who hold up this ideal and then use it to define their life and but they're defining it in their opposition to it but not like saying we should get rid of it but, but more just like themselves by by being the person perpetually unable to get anywhere close to that you know like i'm the incel these people are the chads like and and that is like so toxic to to your mindset like it is it is not surprising at all that you start seeing some outpourings of like really extreme um positions and even like violence to have communities like that because like they're literally mentally torturing themselves constantly because of society's narrative about like how horny men are 
and it, it sounds almost silly when you say it out loud, but it's true, you know, like these guys are torturing themselves because of this, you know, frankly, completely off the wall stereotype of, of, you know, men being these like super hypersexual beings. Yeah. And I, and I think with the incel community too, this really starts to tie into something that I'm, 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 I'm going to try to not get off topic here, but it ties into the, um, uh, it definitely needs to be its own topic on its own episode, but the male body image and this idea of being the ideal male body image and, and, and this fundamental concept that it does not matter what you look like, what your interests are, or what your profession is, there are people who are going to be into you. Like, it is a ginormous world with billions of people on it who are all into different things that are literally as wild as you can assume. Like I have, like I have encountered people who are attracted to any conceivable thing you can think of. Like the, the, in the entire incel concept that, well, I am, I look the way I look and I do like, I act the way I act. So therefore nobody would ever be attracted to me because I am not a perfect Chad movie star image is just so ridiculous as you said it's completely like divorced of reality (laughs) yeah and it 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 does i never really thought about it in this term until you mentioned it but it does kind of stand uh in in stark contrast with an equally internet culture thing of rule 34 right (laughs) like (laughs) like literally there's an internet rule about like if if it exists there's porn of it like people basically like every everything is attractive to somebody is the sort of corollary of rule 34 and then like there's entire communities like like the inherent way i am is unattractive and no one will like me it's like but there's a rule here that says that that's not true and you know it's a bit of a meme to say it to put it that quite that simply but you know i do think that it's a really good example of of how an extreme stereotype like this can can result in some really harmful outcomes um and often in ways that like you know are so framed as normal and uh just hegemonic that no one questions them no no one even like very very few people ever stop and go well maybe that's actually wrong (laughs) maybe like and and the people that do often are punished for it even within those extreme communities who you would think would be the most prone to want that to be wrong they've they've warped their identity so badly around the normal definition of men that um that even the people who are are giving them the out of hey actually the normal the the concept of normal men is bullshit um are are trashed both in regular pop culture and in these extreme communities like it's it's so invisible that that it's it's um even questioning it gets you ostracized from from many groups uh, at times yeah and and i'm gonna i'm gonna make a bold speculation here and this is a thing that's kind of worked around in my head for a few years um growing growing up i always especially like I did a lot of my teenage and early adult years in the hip hop community and in, in other like live music communities around that. And uh, 
to a lot of partying people, right? Specifically a lot of partying men. And strip clubs came up all the time. And there was always this element of strip strip club culture that was like, strip clubs were known for things other than strippers. And because like, like, for instance, everybody in Springfield knows that Centerfold has the best steaks in town. There is not a steakhouse in Springfield that can hold a torch to Centerfold. And the joke around that has always kind of presumptively been that men would make, not even, I shouldn't say men, but that people who frequent those institutions are using those items as an excuse to go there. And it's like, oh, I don't, I'm not there for the strippers. I'm there for the steak. I read Playboy for the articles, right? Exactly. But I think, and I'm, you know, call me bold for this. I think this plays into the same thing you were talking about earlier about this, a lot of this being for show. And I'm, I've, you know, also the way it's kind of worked in my head of like my interest, any interest I've had in those places has been like, ugh, all the other guys want to go there. Um, that steak was the excuse for being in there. Not like, I mean, like it was, you have to, in order to sound masculine, to seem like as cool as the other guys, you got to go to the strip club, but you don't want to just be in a strip club and the strip club knows that. And so they're going to offer other things for you. I, and I, I think in some ways and in some elements, some of that wraps into that. And I, and I'm not, I'm not making any kind of big giant claims, I guess, about strip clubs, just, uh, ways to process things to process about all of these institutions and things that we have wrapped around us that make it sound and make us feel like we are, obsessed and constantly on with this and i mean it's it's a social construct and i I don't think we even buy into it as much as we pretend we buy into it oh absolutely not and it's stressful when you try to having you know if you're in a long-term relationship having sex when you're only kind of meh about it is often uh not the best (laughs) um and that can lead to ED issues for some men. A lot of men with mm. erectile dysfunction issues, that's where it starts stemming from, is literally not being in the mood. It's one time of not being in the mood, not being able to make it happen, and then you get it stuck in your head of like, oh shit, I'm literally broken. Like, this thing isn't working right anymore. And then the stress of that perpetuates causes issues down the road and this is where like a lot of doctors have said that like a lot of men's ed issues are often psychological in nature and are you know i mean you can trace it back to a lot of these kind of ideas for sure and you know i think that uh like with most gendered issues you know uh there are a lot of ways that uh women's issues um and women's stereotypes harm men. I think there are ways that um, male stereotypes harm women. And I think this is definitely one of them. Um, You know, we, you know, in our desire to make this this, uh, completely made up binary, you know, as opposite as possible, um, you know, women have a stereotype of, you know, sort of being uh, chased and, and, and not really ever wanting sex. And, and, uh, uh, it, it sets up this, this really toxic predator prey type of relationship where there's, 
the men who want something and the women who won't give it. So you got to go get them because that's the only way that it happens. And that's bad for women, obviously, <laughs> uh, sexual assault and, and um, uh, just bad relationship dynamics um, come from that. And also it puts a lot of shame on the women who do like sex, like almost all women do who don't, who have any halfway decent sex. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I know that uh, I have certainly, I certainly know of women in my life who, who uh, have expressed a lot of shame around it, even, even in uh, zones where um, that, that desire would be considered healthy and normal and fine, even in, you know, hyper-conservative circles or something like that, you know, it's very, um, you know, like between a husband and a wife, they still, it's so deeply embedded at that point. There's still a lot of shame. It's like, oh, I want this. That means I'm bad, you know? Uh, so this is, this is a really like, I don't know, this is, this to me is a very clear example of the, the real problem with these radically um, extreme stereotypes and, and all the pressures that it puts on people and all the messed up ways that it manifests itself. Agreed, and and I'm 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 sort of uh, reiterating this point over and over, but you know it's I think this is a critical element of rape culture and of harassment mm -hmm. culture, and you know the way that we framed it all up in a way that almost boys will be boys is so heavily engendered and wrapped up into this that it almost we, we literally train boys to do that to be that way to if if you i mean come on if you're really a tough guy you're going to you know do these things and and perform these actions and do this stuff and it's almost the way that as a society and of course like nobody sits down with their son and says hey this is the way you should treat women Nobody puts that into a movie. Nobody puts that into a TV. Well, that, that's a lie. Actually, we do put that into movies and TV shows and into uh, music. But all of that comes together with a, this kind of a social presumption that generates that. And it all generates beginning with this idea of like, well, as men, you're going to want to fuck every time you see any, anybody. And like... It, it... Like I, I, I've said before, you know, like a lot of complaints that people have about um, modern struggles and gender roles in particular um you know we've I, uh, a founding idea behind this podcast is to talk about um you know what what does it mean to be a man in the 21st century and you know i think part of that is recognizing that you know for example this dynamic has been set up with you know is so extreme that you end up getting like i said earlier a predator prey relationship between men and their uh, and women uh, uh there's a little bit of heteronormativity here i don't want to you know pretend like there's you know that's the only possible relationship but specifically talking about that dynamic that sucks it sucks for both parties it obviously sucks for women because being the prey in a predator-prey relationship always sucks. Um, and obviously, like, we're talking about, like, sexual assault and, and just um, uh, bo both of the, of the, like, 
full on rape kind and the just uh, sexual aggressions and like groping and stuff like that, that they're subjected to constantly cat calls and whatnot. Like that all sucks, but it sucks for men too, because a being a predator uh, between people who are supposed to be partners or in a relationship also sucks because it puts this sort of fundamental barrier between you and the kind of people that you want a relationship with where, you know, um, um, I, for example, will notice someone, uh, like a woman who I think has like, uh, a cool hair color or, uh, or has like a shirt on that has like a, a logo of a thing that I'm into as well or whatever. And I will notice, like I said, when I say like, Hey, I like your hair or, Oh, cool. Like, um, I don't know, Dungeons and Dragons. I really like that too. Yeah. Cool shirt. Like I see in, in, in just like a flash of that, like, is he looking at my chest or is he trying to hit on me? And then they scan me, see the ring on my finger, have this like mild moment of relaxation and then go, Oh, thanks. You know, but like in the times before I got married, before I had this ring on my finger, there was an inherent suspicion there because of exactly that dynamic of like, oh, is this guy hitting on me? Like, which feels like a potentially threatening thing. Well, why is that threatening to them? Because it is, it, it is like, it's a safe assumption on their part because unfortunately a lot of men adopt the predator thing because they think they're supposed to be the hunter in that situation. And, you know, it sucks when you're just trying to give a genuine compliment or start up a, a conversation about a shared interest or whatever to have everything you do interpreted as a potential aggression. That's unpleasant to be like, especially when that's not your intent. And, you know, I think a lot of times we rightfully focus on the extremely bad consequences for women in this relationship or in this dynamic. And those are, and they're talked about feminists by feminist uh, people all the time and rightfully so. Um, but I think like men often don't realize how much that affects them too. And their inability to have genuine connections and relationships with certain people because of the extreme risk that this like, hypersexual stereotype has uh, like that pressure that it puts on the relationship between these two groups makes it so that it's really difficult to have that relationship authentically and honestly <laughs> it, it sounds ridiculous but it's honestly been one of the most enjoyable benefits of being married which is that you have this signifier on your hand that makes it so that women stop being as afraid of you. It's not perfect. And some women never go off the defensive and I can't really blame them for that because it's not like married men are hundred percent safe, but uh, man, it, it hurts my heart a lot of times, like just trying to have like a, a cool human moment with someone and then realizing that they see you as dangerous Um because of a stupid stereotype that you can't do anything about and just sucks. Yeah. And I, and I think it's, and I'm, I'm with you hundred percent. I think it's important to, to clarify that we are not 
sympathizing with predators. Oh yeah, you know. No. <laughs> um, but you know, man, and the and the stereotype isn't um, you know the stereotype isn't that it is a stereotype that men are threatening. Men are a threat and are often threatening to women. Every single woman uh, in my life has a story about assault or abuse. It is a very real element. The stereotype are these things that are stereotyped on the men that create that system that creates that abuse. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah you're, exactly. You're, you're completely right that it's, it is, you know, and I mean, and there, I think there are a, you know, and I mean, a lot of times, okay, so there's this, you know, this kind of comes up as a question among men a lot of what can I say to women? How can I interact with women and not be perceived as a threat or as sexual harassing or as, you know, what such and so forth? I think a lot of the times that's very dishonest. Like a lot of the guys who come forward asking that, I think sometimes are being dishonest. But I also think that there is honesty among some people who do come forward asking those questions and are recognizing that no, like, yeah, there are, you know, this exists within our society. And how do you navigate it if, as a man who is not seeking, who's not, you know, trying to engage with women as a predator? Um, and yeah, yeah, it's, it's valid. Like, I've, you know, I have definitely went through this myself of, uh, trying to start off a conversation with somebody and having to roll through those mental uh, laps beforehand of how do I do this in a way that isn't going to come off as threatening? How do I open this conversation in a way that doesn't cause fear? Uh, how do I approach this person in a way that doesn't make them think I'm following them? How do I approach them in a way that doesn't come off as scary uh oh i can't talk to them over here because there's nobody else here and that's going to make them uncomfortable and that's you know the, the problem there isn't how that makes me feel but how that makes me feel is a part of the situation and if we fix the problem that exists there of uh of the threat that women face every day we can fix how that makes us feel right yeah and you know uh, my kind of response to that is like when when you're talking about like how can I talk to women without being perceived as a, a threat, right? When you really think about that question, honestly, what you come to is the conclusion that the reason that they feel that men are a threat is because um, as a population, that's a reasonable assumption. And the risk, the, the, the potential harm there is so great. Being sexually assaulted sucks. It sucks bad, <laughs> like obviously. But because that punishment for being wrong about the risk is so great, they're forced to make cautious assumptions about every possible instance of that. And, you know, you, you're not going to fix that problem, not single-handedly, no one is individually, but you can contribute to the changing of that per perspective one bit at a time by being a little bit for yourself and encouraging the other men in your life to be better about it themselves. The more just like authentic connections, not with the ulterior motive of, you know, getting in someone's pants or, you know, uh, trying to, to get, you know, further commitments or, or anything, you know, just saying, 
um, you know, hey, nice shirt or whatever is is a little bit towards that and being more willing to question that standard for yourself and for others and pushing back on it when you have the opportunity naturally to do so in a conversation, you know, uh, it's, it's not likely to change in our lifetimes uh, without a, a really big cultural overhaul. Um, but, you know, if we strive to do better, to, to try to have a sincere and authentic, you know, approach to, to um, those that we are attracted to, then it, it will get to that point eventually. It needs to get to the point that a generation of women grows up and does not experience male presenting people as dangerous and until that happens it's, it it becomes so deeply embedded you're not gonna you're not gonna get into an individual psyche and like pull out the part that says men are scary all you can do is just understand that unfortunately that is going to be a cost that you that as a male presenting person you're gonna pay and um it sucks it's not fun um, it's, it's a lot less fun for the women to be sexually assaulted at a much higher rate. Um, and, you know, just know who, just know what's to blame. You know, it's not, you know, ultra chads or, you know, picky women or any of this stuff. It's, a, it's an, it's a irresponsibly extreme stereotype that society has convinced you and other men is normal when it's not, it's not normal. It's, it's very extreme. And that extremeness is the thing that makes this happen. And, you know, resolve yourself to as best you can in your lifetime, pushing back on that and making men to the degree that, that as, as men, we get to contribute to the definition of what men are with our lifetimes, use yours, toward the direction that you want to see that you want people to see as you want people to see men in the future that's the best you can do because you're not going to change that kind of big societal hegemonic force and and you know one fell swoop or one logical argument exactly agreed and i i think i think that point kind of wraps up where we're at today and will bring us to next week uh next week we'll be discussing all of these issues we've talked about and fatherhood and mentorship, how we do exactly what you just talked about, how we take these things that we are learning throughout our life and how we pass them on to, um, to, to our kids and to the people that we mentor. Because I mean, like, and, and I mean, you know, and kids aren't even necessarily always biological. My father was not my biological father, but he was still my father. Um, you know, but and it's also the kids you meet every day who you end up mentoring, who are going to remember the lessons that you teach them. All of this stuff is things that we pass on and we grow from generation to generation to generation and become better people. And we fix these problems by recognizing them now and then passing on that recognition and solutions. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's going to be 
our intent with this is to to make this sort of a cycle of we do three weeks of some topics about we struggle with the men and then talk about like how do we like use the fourth the last episode every month the fourth episode every fourth episode talking about like okay now how do we take these problems we've discussed and, and make them better going forward either yeah through mentorship or fathership or fatherhood or you know just in general in ourselves making it you know stuff better going forward so we sort of talk about three problems and then like what to do about them going forward and i think that's going to be the cycle of the show and so i'm really looking forward to next week and talking about i like the positive uh aspect of uh you know where do we go from here what what's the positive next step yep i agree yeah a hundred percent it isn't you know uh, all of this isn't just about our problems and all the things that are wrong and all the things that are terrible in the world. It's about how do we do better? How do we build a better world? Like it's looking forward should be a happy, positive thing. It's cool stuff. It's a lot that we can do. Uh, it's, you know, it's like looking at a, it's like stepping into the shop in the morning and realizing that you can accomplish a lot by the end of the day. That's, that's what it is. Yeah. So, uh, I'm going to steal your plug this week, or we can both plug it at the same time uh, for Red Dirt Collective. Um, fantastic organization here in, uh, are we central Oklahoma or are we southern? I think this is the technically central Oklahoma. I think Norman is considered central. I would kind of be surprised if it wasn't. But yeah, it's an organization here, um, organization of a lot of uh, folks. It is uh, dedicated to the uh uplifting and liberation of poor and working class folks um if you want to give a little bit more of a plug than that i'm kind of terrible at plugging it but you've been <laughs> with it longer than me <laughs> oh sure uh yeah we uh you know you put it succinctly uh we organize people uh specifically trying to create you know uh institutions and coordinations and organizations of people um uh, poor and working class people in their own interests. So whether that's, um, you know, unions or cooperatives or anything uh, where, you know, we get together as, as people and, and find ways of determining our own uh, future that doesn't require us to submit ourselves to uh, bosses or overlords or that sort of thing. Uh, uh, we try to to get give people the tools to uh, um, make those things happen for themselves. Yep. Yeah. Uh, thank you for joining me this week, as always, Philip. Uh, thank you all for joining us this morning, afternoon, evening, or whatever other time of day it is. Thank you.